Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Before I pray very quickly, some of you may know Jonathan and Carmelita Laws. John Cipolla, who's the principal at Lafayette Christian, is his daughter. Son-in-law, she had a baby a little over a week ago now, Elijah. He was uh, several weeks premature. He is in the neonatal care unit at Eggleston. He had surgery last week on his intestines. And the doctors have given him a pretty good prognosis, but he's going to be in the hospital for many weeks and going to have some other surgeries ahead. So if you could remember little Elijah, had the opportunity to spend some time with uh, he and Jonathan this week. And that little baby is well taken care of, I can tell you that. But we know above and beyond all the little gizmos they hook him up to and the machines and all that the doctors and nurses can do the Lord is in charge of that little baby we know that of his life and so we're going to continue to pray for them I said Jonathan what can I do for you he said just have the church pray we'll do that Father we thank you for the opportunity to spend time with my brothers and sisters in Christ Father singing to you because we have to, not because we're forced to, because we want to, because we love you so much, Father. And Lord, I know there are, there are so many times where, where our worship fails, Lord, it falls short. Forgive us, Father, for having the wrong attitude or, or not focusing on you, Father. And I just pray that as we move into our time of worship, where we get to study the truth of your word, Father, I pray you would just speak clearly to us. I pray to remove distractions, Father. There, there are so many things in life we deal with every day. Remove those things right now, Father, so we can focus on you and we can hear from you. I pray you'd speak powerfully, powerfully through your word. And I pray, Father, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we would be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I want to begin this morning... By reading from Daniel chapter 6. And again, you don't have to turn there with me. I I just want to read it to you and I want to tell you a little story. Daniel was a young man. Some of you are familiar with this story in the Old Testament. Who lived in the city of Jerusalem. King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of the Babylonian Empire. Laid siege to the city of Jerusalem. Surrounded it. Overtook the city. And when he took the city of Jerusalem, he took back with him to Babylon all the young and the bright leaders from the city of Jerusalem. Daniel was one of those young men. And so Daniel was taken from the city of Jerusalem to the city of Babylon, and he was put to work. But Daniel was a sharp young man, and he was a young man that was interested in doing the things of the Lord. And so the Bible tells us that he prospered, and he did a lot of neat things in the presence of the king. Now, he began to rise through the ranks until a time came where... Nebuchadnezzar needed a dream interpreted. None of his wise men could do it. And so he was going to literally put them all to death until someone said, Hey, I think Daniel has the ability to interpret dreams. So they brought Daniel to the king. He interpreted the king's dream. And he was so impressed, Nebuchadnezzar was, with the king. Excuse me, Nebuchadnezzar was so impressed with Daniel that he wanted to elevate him. And so I pick up the story in Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional quality that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. 
At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of the government affairs. They weren't happy that Daniel from Jerusalem was taken over. So they wanted to find something wrong with Daniel. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor neglect. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, unless and Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of God. So they trump up this new law and they go to the king. And they say, king, we need to pass this new law that says no one can pray to anyone except you. Now, the king liked Daniel, and the king wasn't really considering Daniel at this very moment. So the king passed this law. And what we need to understand about laws passed during this time period was that once the king signed them and they became law, you couldn't take them back. So these administrators knew they had trapped Daniel. So we move to verse 10 of Daniel chapter 6. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, there's no secret here. Daniel knows what's going on. Daniel's well aware of the new law. When he learned of the new law, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. So there's no secret here. He's not trying to hide what he does. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. These men went as a group. Now they're trying to find out what Daniel's doing wrong, right? They're trying to trap him. And they found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So these men go back to the king and they say, King, we've passed this decree. We caught Daniel praying to his God. We need to throw him in the lion's den. That's what the law said. Now the king liked Daniel, so he hated that he had to do this, but he knows that he has to follow the law. So Daniel is lowered into the lion's den. And the Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 6, verse 18, that the king couldn't sleep. All night he couldn't sleep. He has a restless night and he can't eat and he's worried about Daniel. And so we pick up the story in verse 19. The Bible says in Daniel 6, 19, At the first light of dawn, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den. When he came near to the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And I can just imagine the pause there. Verse 21, Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. So the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted out of the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And then the king writes a decree to the people. In verse 25, we pick it up. May, the, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. You know, sometimes we find ourselves surrounded by lions, don't we? Sometimes we find ourselves in great despair. Sometimes we find ourselves in great danger. 
We may be hopeless, we may be helpless, and some of you have come this morning feeling exactly like Daniel felt. You may not be surrounded by physical lions, but there are things that you are struggling with mightily in your life and in your heart. And sometimes we need to understand from the truth of God's Word that our only hope of rescue comes from the Lord. Some of the greatest words ever penned in the Scripture are written when there are people in great need. They pray to the Lord and the Bible says, The Lord heard their cries. (laughs) What an incredible idea. The God of the universe, the creator of all things, loves you enough to hear your cries and to answer your prayers. And so we're going to think this morning and study what the scripture has to say about prayer and more specifically, exactly what Christ teaches on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have your Bibles now, I want you to open to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. This is week 9 now. It's been 9 weeks in our study of our sermon series entitled Upside Down. It's a study on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and we've called it upside down because if you live the way Christ calls you to live in the Sermon on the Mount, your life is going to be upside down from what the world looks like. Jesus has shown us in this sermon already that you are blessed if you're persecuted. That's upside down from what the world says. You're blessed if you're poor in spirit. That's not what the world says. Jesus has already said that if you have lust in your heart, then it's the same as adultery. If you have anger in your mind, it's the same as murder. That's not what the, Lord, that's not what the world says. Jesus has said you're to love your enemies, you're to pray for those that persecute you. All of these things are upside down. They're opposite from what the world says. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, if we're going to be serious about our faith, we need to stop trying to look like the world and we need to figure out how to live upside down. Our calling isn't to match the world. Our calling isn't to impress the world. Our calling is to live our lives very clearly based on the truth of the Word of God. And so today Christ is going to speak about prayer and will focus our attention, Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. I'm going to read them for us. We have them on the screen as well. Jesus says, And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now there are some truths and some principles of prayer that we need to think about this morning. Some things that Jesus teaches us and wants us to understand and things that we ought to be applying to our prayer life. And the first truth, the first general principle that we see in this text is this. Number one, we should, according to the words of Christ, pray often. We should pray often. Now, you may remember from our study last week, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. 
Jesus builds this foundation for us upon which we're going to build on over the next few weeks when he says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Jesus wants us to understand it's not really about what the world thinks. It's not really about what your coworker thinks. It's not even about what your friends think. It's not about bringing honor to yourself. It doesn't matter if they think you're spiritual or not. It's about bringing honor to the Lord. And so whether you give to the needy, we studied last week, whether you pray, which we're going to study the next two weeks, or whether you're fasting, you should do all those things so the Lord is honored. It's not about honoring self. It's about honoring God. And so it's upon that foundation that we're going to build our understanding this morning of prayer. And Jesus does something very interesting in this text. Very similar to what he does last week when he speaks of giving to the needy. I want you to notice something. Pull those scriptures back up, Wanda, if you would, for me. Verse 5. I want you to notice how Christ begins verse 5. And when you pray, see that? Now move to verse 6. But when you pray, now move to verse 7. And when you pray, see how he starts all three verses? There's this sense here that we ought to be praying. You don't have to have any sort of a special degree to understand that the Lord desires us to pray. Now notice what he doesn't say. I sure hope you'd find some time to pray. (laughs) Sure would be nice if you could spend some time tomorrow praying. Boy, as best you can, carve out on your schedule this week a a five-minute time of prayer. That's not what the Lord says. Instead, he says to us, when you pray, there's this assumption here that as followers of Jesus Christ, we ought to be spending time in prayer. But here's our problem. We don't pray enough, do we? I bet if I went around this room and I asked you to rate yourself in your prayer life, do you pray enough, do you not pray enough, the vast majority of us would say, you know what, I don't think I pray enough. Now, we're real good about talking about examples of prayer. We're real good about going to Sunday school or talking with our friends and mentioning the importance of prayer. We're real good at reading verses that talk about prayer. We're we're real good even at reading books that speak about prayer. But none of those things matter if we're not actually praying. Right? It doesn't matter how important you think prayer is if you're not praying. It doesn't matter how much you know about prayer if you're not praying. It doesn't matter how many books you've read on prayer if you're not praying. Christ assumes here that when we pray... When we pray, when we pray, there's this assumption here that we ought to spend time praying. Now, the Lord's done some really neat things in this church over the last many months. And you guys that have been with us have seen his hand at work in so many different areas. The the missions movement that has kind of swept through the hearts of our people is unbelievable to me. I have the privilege that many of you don't have of hearing stories every single day of how people are struggling with decisions to go or struggling with decisions to give or giving themselves over to the Lord because they want to serve more. And I get to see the the bigger picture. I wish you could see what I see because the Lord is at work. I encouraged you earlier today. I'm going to encourage you again right now to become part of our missional movement here at Rosemont. We're going to be doing a class tonight at 5 p.m. It's going to last about an hour. And I'm going to talk to you about what the DNA of a missional believer ought to look like. If you're a follower of Christ, what should your DNA look like? How should you live your life? What are some practical things you can be doing to be missional? But we've seen the Lord work in our missions movement. We've seen people grow in their faith. We've seen the Lord change the hearts of people. But I believe with all of my heart 
that the next big step for our church, if we're going to reach that next level, if we're going to reach that next plateau, whatever that looks like for our church, it has to be done, built upon the foundation of prayer. I truly believe that. I think at some point we're going to run out of steam if we're not grounding everything that we're doing in prayer. So here's my prediction. The level to which this church will rise over the next decade will be in direct proportion to the private prayer life of the people. The level to which this church will rise over the next decade will be in direct proportion to the private prayer life of our people. If we want to continue to do amazing things for the Lord, if we want to continue to see His hand upon us, if we want to continue to see His blessings throughout this church, we need to be bathing everything that we do in prayer. It ought to be foundational to who we are. You say, well, this is a... A good study, the Lord tells us that we should pray. And Adam, you're telling us we should pray often. But how often should we be praying? Should I pray once a week? Should I pray once a month? Should I pray once a day? What what should my prayer life look like? Well, there's some scriptures that teach about prayer. And there's some scriptures that kind of clue us in on how often we ought to be praying. If you're taking notes, you can just reference these. I don't want you to flip to them, but I want you to listen to these words. Colossians 4.2 says that we should devote ourselves to prayer. Being watchful and thankful. Think about what that word devote means. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says that we should pray continually. Ephesians 6.18 says we should pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. So the Lord says we need to pray I think, based on his teaching, we ought to be praying often. And according to the scripture, we ought to be praying all the time, right? We should pray on all occasions. We should pray at all moments. We should devote ourselves to prayer. We should pray continually. And you say, why does the Lord have to continually remind us to pray? Because he knows we're not going to. He understands your life. He understands how busy you are. He understands that the devil fully understands the power of prayer. And he's going to do everything he can to keep you from doing it. If you're like me, the times that I have the most trouble focusing is when I sit down to pray. When I carve out that time to sit down and pray, it's almost as if the devil's ready for me at that very moment. And he begins to remind me of things that I may not have thought of in a long time. He reminds me of the things that I'm going to have to deal with, of problems that are going on right now, of mistakes that I made, of the sinfulness of my life. And I spend the first little while in my prayer sometimes fighting off the devil. Why? Because he understands the power of prayer. He understands what we can accomplish. He understands that to kind of put it in our terms, we've got this direct link, this direct pipeline to the creator of the universe. And he doesn't want us to pray. And so he's going to do everything in his power to keep us from seeking the Lord in prayer. Now, here's the problem we have in our world today. We come up with a lot of excuses, don't we? Wow, Adam, if you just knew my schedule. Oh, man. If you knew all the things that I'm doing. If you knew all the appointments I have or all the meetings I've got or all the decisions I've got to make or all the hours I worked last week or all the things going on at home, if you just knew all this stuff, you would understand it. Let's be very honest. Let's just, let's just kind of remove the facade and let's quit playing games for a second. Let's speak truth. Here's the truth. It's not about time. It's about commitment when it comes to prayer. Period. 
not about time. It's about commitment. I can prove it to you. You say, Adam, I don't, I don't have enough time to pray. Well, let me just tell you the things that you have time for. I made a little list. You have time to watch TV. In your busy schedule and all the things that you have to do and all the meetings that you keep, some way or another, by the miracle of miracles, you find time to watch your favorite show every week. Now, there's nothing wrong with watching TV. I'm not saying that. But don't say it's about time because you've got time. It's about commitment. You've got time to surf the internet. You find time some, some way. I don't know how you do it with all the things. You have time to get on Facebook and post. Can you believe you've got time to do that? You find time to get on social, you tweet, you post, you Snapchat, right? You have time to do those things. It's amazing. It's amazing in our busy lives how we're able to get on the internet. We have time to go to sporting events. Can you believe we find the time to do that? Can you believe that? We have the time to go to college football games, to basketball games. We have time to go to our kids' sporting events. We have time ourselves sometimes to go play those games. It's amazing in our busy schedules how we find the time to do that, right? Men, we have time to go out in the yard and piddle around, right? We have time to go in our workshop and work on things. That's what you tell your wife, at least, right? I'm, I'm working, honey. <laughs> we have time to read books. We have time to fish. We have time to talk on the phone. We have t- time to hunt. On and on and on the list goes. It's not about time. It's about our commitment. It's about our priorities. See, here's the greatest fear I have. That we talk about the importance of prayer, we talk about the power of prayer, but we don't really believe it in our hearts. See, if we really believed that prayer worked, we would pray continually. If we really believed prayer worked, we would be devoted to prayer. If we really believed prayer worked, we would spend all the free time we have begging the Lord to work in all the situations that we so desperately need Him to work. But because I fear we don't see the power in prayer, we're able to push it aside. I'll pray after I finish reading. I'll pray after I watch this TV show. I'll pray after I go to this sporting event. And none of those things are wrong. But we find time to do so many things in our life. Why can't we find time to pray? D.A. Carson, a very well-known theologian, said it like this. He said, we have learned to organize build institutions, publish books, insert ourselves into the media, develop evangelistic strategies, and administer discipleship programs, but we have forgotten how to pray. I think he's right. I think if we're going to see the Lord work, and we're going to be part of an amazing movement to reach the world for Christ, we need to pray often. Now let's continue. Let's read 5 and 6 again. There's another truth. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So not only do we need to pray often, not only do we need to pray on on a regular basis, but number two, we need to pray personally and intimately to the Lord. We need to pray personally and intimately to the Lord. I fear that so many of us, even when we find the time to pray, our prayer turns into God's to-do list. Lord, I don't have a lot of time today, but in the three minutes I'm going to give you, here are the nine things I need you to work on. 
Here's the checklist, Lord. If you'll do these three things, I'm going to check back with you tomorrow about the same time, and I'm going to see how that's going. And then I'm going to remind you of the things that I need you to do. Now, let's be clear here. We, of course, should petition the Lord. He tells us to do that in his word. There's nothing wrong with petitioning the Lord, but I think sometimes we have a misunderstanding of prayer. Prayer, very simply, is a personal, intimate communication with the Lord for his glory. It's not a show. It's not something you do because you're forced to do it. It's not something you do so you can give God the to-do list to check off all the things you need done. It's an opportunity for you to spend time intimately and personally with the creator of the universe. Now, the guy in the story here that Jesus is referring to doesn't quite get that, right? And he talks about the hypocrite. He says that there are kind of two people, right? There's the guy that stands up in front of everybody, and he prays in such a way that all these people see him and think he's spiritual. That's one guy. The Lord says, you don't need to be like that guy. You need to instead... Go into, the street, go into the room, close the door, pray to your father who's unseen, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying in front of people. That's not what Christ is saying. The problem is with our attitude of wanting other people to see us pray and think we're so spiritual. Right? And isn't it amazing, and, and, and I'm reading a little into this, I just think about these Pharisees and these religious leaders, that these guys couldn't find time, based on what Christ says, to go into the room and pray to the Lord in private, and yet they could find all this time to stand on the street corner and make people think they were spiritual. Christ says, you need to spend time in prayer, but when you do, it needs to be personal. It needs to be intimate. It needs to be a time that you spend alone with the Lord, seeking the Lord's guidance, asking him to bless you, repenting of your sins, praising his name, all the things that we do in prayer. Now, if I were to be very transparent with you, the area of my ministry that I have oftentimes wished I could strengthen was prayer. Now, I spend time in prayer. But there doesn't a a week pass by, there's not a a single time that I get up here to preach every Sunday that I sit in my study on Sunday morning and I say, Lord, I should have prayed more. I should have spent more time in prayer. I shouldn't have done this. Or this was important and it was something that I had to do, but I should have spent more time in prayer. I I just wonder how the Lord would bless our lives more if we set aside the things that really didn't matter in lieu of the things that did. I just wonder how foolish we are sometimes by thinking we got to do these things on the to-do list and we set aside prayer, Lord, I'm going to get to that later. And the Lord's saying, no, 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 you need to do this first. If you would do this first, if you would spend time in prayer and the amount of time in prayer that I desire you to have, you wouldn't have to worry about the to-do list. It would take care of itself. All the problems that you have are because you're not spending time in prayer. But I fear that we don't spend enough time praying and I fear that when we do pray that we don't do it in such a way that it's personal or that it's intimate. I think we just kind of send these things up to the Lord and expect him to change. One writer said it like this. Prayer is vastly more than petition and persuasion. It's adoring reverence, wonder, ecstasy, yearning, desire, surrender, love, confidence, trust, resolve, resignation, serenity, right? It's the idea that the God who created us in his image, the God who created the universe, desires a relationship with us. And the way that that happens is through prayer. So we need to be praying often. We need to be praying personally, intimately in our prayer closet alone with the Lord on a regular basis. And now look at verse 7 and 8 as we finish up. 
And when you pray, Jesus says, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. And here's the third truth. We need to pray often. We need to pray personally and intimately as we have a relationship with the Lord. And then number three, we need to pray in faith and expect results. We need to pray in faith and expect results. You know how we can know whether or not we believe that prayer actually works? We can know whether or not we believe prayer actually works based on the amount of time we spend in prayer. If we believe prayer worked, we'd spend time in prayer. If we believe the Lord really would work, we'd set aside all the other things alive and we'd stead and spend time in prayer in the prayer closet seeking the Lord, making petition to the Lord. But the Lord uses an interesting word here in verse 7. He cautions us. When you pray, you don't need to babble like the pagans. There's this sense here that sometimes we get caught in this rut, right? And we feel good about ourselves because we, we have a prayer time and we set some time, some, some time aside every day to spend or every week, or whatever it looks like, to pray. But we, if we're not careful, we, we find ourselves kind of falling into this rut, and into this trap where we're praying the same things over and over, right? My kids call me on this sometimes, and I'm going to use them as an example. I don't usually, but they call me on this sometimes. I've kind of descended, unfortunately, into the blessing becoming the same prayer over and over. That's just kind of how we do it. And we pray before every meal, whether we're out to eat somewhere or we're at home or whatever it looks like, we're always praying. But if I'm not careful, I say the same blessing every time. It's just kind of a quick little thing. And, you know, nothing wrong with saying the blessing like that. But my kids sometimes will say amen and they'll say, Dad, you say the same prayer every time. They're right. Now, I don't intend to babble like the pagans, as Christ says, but if I'm not careful, I fall into the rut. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying the same things, but here's the problem. When it becomes just rote for us, right? It's just a thing we've always said because we've always said it. And I think if we're not careful, our prayer life becomes that. We've got these three or four things that we're praying for, and we're hoping the Lord works, but we're not really praying from the heart. We're praying instead from a little sheet of paper we've written down. We're not praying from the heart. We're praying from memory. We're just saying the same things over and over. Christ warns us against that. Don't, don't babble. Don't say the same things over and over and over again when you don't actually mean them in your hearts. I'm reminded of Elijah on Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18. You may remember the story. There was this competition between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Who's got the real king, right? Is Baal real or is the living God real? So Elijah said, look, we'll just settle it. We'll just build these two altars. We'll build one altar, actually. And we'll let the prophets of Baal go first. We'll let them cry out to their Lord, to their God, and see if he answers. And so we read the story. So they took the bull given them and they prepared it. They called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered and they danced around the altar they had made. Midday passed as they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. They're just babbling. They're just saying the same things over and over and over again. Of course, we know when Elijah steps to the stage, he prays to the living God. And the Bible says that fire consumed the altar and the bull. And it licked up all the water that he poured around the altar just to prove that the Lord was who he says he was. It's not just about repeating words that we don't mean. It's about praying to the living God 
It's about praying, believing that he's going to answer our prayer. It's about praying with the faith that he can truly move mountains. It's about praying, knowing that, Lord, I know you can lick up this altar and this water and destroy this bull with fire. And I'm going to ask you to do it, not for my glory, but for your glory, so these people will know that you are God. How oftentimes do we pray and yet not really believe that God's going to answer the prayer? And then Jesus makes an interesting statement in verse 8. I want you to look at it. He says, don't be like them, right? Don't babble. Don't use the many words because he says, the Father knows what you need before you ask him. Interesting. That's a whole sermon there, but here's the idea. The idea is that when we pray, we're not reminding God of something he forgot. We're not even making him aware of a need. We're not making him aware of a circumstance. What prayer does for us is it demonstrates to the Lord our faith and our trust. Father, I know you already know this situation. I I know that you know exactly what needs to take place. I'm not enlightening you on anything, but Lord, I love you enough and I trust you enough that I'm going to come to you in prayer. Because I believe in faith that you can work. I expect results, Lord, because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's very interesting when you kind of compare this idea to the world. Jesus says, if you want to get things done, if you want to see mountains moved, you go into a little room, you close the door, and you speak to the Lord privately. That's not what the world says. is That's upside down. The world says, you make your own way. You do it yourself. You work hard and you accomplish all these things and you keep working until the task is done. Go in a room and lock the door by yourself. That makes no sense. That's totally upside down. But Christ says if you really want to see power and you really want to see change, don't buy into the lies of the world. Buy into the truth of his word. You go into a room, you close the door, you pray to God, and you expect things to happen. Now, some of you will be familiar with the name George Mueller. I want to finish with this this morning. George Mueller was born in the early 1800s in in Prussia, which later became Germany. And in 1834, as a very young man, he founded the Scripture Knowledge Institute for Home and Abroad. That's a long name. He had a lot of different organizations that kind of fell under that umbrella. But the thing that George Mueller was known for all the years of his life was taking care of orphans. He built these orphanages. And if you read about his life, George Mueller, over the course of many decades, cared for over 10,000 orphans. He established 117 schools that offered Christian education to over 120,000 students, many of them being orphans. Now, you understand, if you have children, the amount of resources it takes just to run a family. You know the amount of food and clothing and all things you've got to purchase and buy in order to maintain so the people of the family can survive, so your children can survive. You can imagine, based on what you know of the family, how much money and how many resources are needed to feed 10,000 orphans over the course of several decades. In fact, people have gone back and kind of done the math and they believe it took millions and millions of dollars to do that. But here's the amazing thing about George Mueller, and here's the reason I tell his story. For all the money he raised and for all the orphans he took care of, George Mueller never asked for one single person to give him any money. 
He didn't write letters. He didn't go and ask them to bring him checks. He didn't walk out into the street and ask them to please pour into the coffers of the orphanage. George Mueller had a very simple policy. He had a very simple means by which he provided for these orphans. He prayed. And if you read the accounts of his life, you see that Mueller would literally sit in the orphanage with no food in the pantry, and he would pray to the Lord, Lord, if these children are going to eat this next meal, you've got to provide the food. And time after time after time, he said he would hear a knock at the door, and someone would say, Mr. Mueller, we've got this extra food that we have left over. We'd like to donate it to the orphanage today. And he fed these children decade after decade after decade through prayer. Now, I want you to listen to his own words, and I want you to pay attention to how much he relied on the Lord for everything. George Mueller said, And here I do desire, in the deep consciousness of my natural helplessness and dependence upon the Lord to confess, that through the grace of God my soul has been in peace. Though, now listen to this, Day after day, we've had to wait for our daily provisions upon the Lord. Though even meal to meal, we have been required to do this. In the greatest difficulties, in the heaviest trials, in the deepest poverty and necessities, He has never failed me. But because I was enabled by His grace to trust Him, He has always appeared for my help. I delight in speaking well of His name. What a concept. I'm just going to trust the Lord to work. I'm just going to rely on the Lord I'm just going to seek Him in my need and I'm going to believe that He's going to help. Christ says we need to pray often. We need to pray personally and intimately. And when we pray, we need to expect the Lord to work. I want to close with a quote from Martin Luther, a very famous reformer. This ought to be the prayer of all of our hearts. Here's what he said. Grant that I may not pray alone with my mouth. Help me that I may pray from the depths of my heart. You know, if believers prayed like that, the Lord would turn the world upside down. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have the privilege of communicating with you in prayer. Lord, it's such a simple thing to do, and yet it's the thing that we struggle with the most. So, Father, help us to understand the teaching of your word. Father, help us to understand the need of prayer, how regular prayer ought to be, Father, how we ought to spend great amounts of time in prayer. Father, help us to increase our faith, Lord, increase our faith in our understanding of what prayer is and the power of prayer. Father, I pray that we would not only pray often and personally, but we would recognize, Lord, that there's power in prayer and we should expect you to work when we pray. Father, you do a mighty work in our hearts. You do a mighty work in our lives for your honor and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity for the next couple of minutes if you want to come and pray at the altar, if you want to repent of your sins and accept Christ. Or if you want to join the church, this is your time now as we sing together.
Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.